Sing Second Sports. Thanks for coming back for another pod. I am John Schofield, former Naval Academy PAO, joined as always by my co-host uh, Ward Carroll, class of 82, author of Punk's War. Why don't we get right to it with Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol today. There was huge breaking news. In fact, a series of stories that developed throughout the day. Uh, Bill, go ahead and tell us what, uh, what took place today. Well, it really began on Wednesday evening I started getting reports from my sources at Naval Academy and also was in connection with a very good source who's plugged in with Notre Dame athletics, hearing that all of a sudden the Navy-Notre Dame game, as Ward Carroll predicted, we're going to have to give him props throughout the entire episode, it was not going to be held, that the game was off. It was. It all came down to that stipulation by the Atlantic Coast Conference that Member schools could only play their non-conference opponent in their home state. And even though Notre Dame is not a member of the ACC, this year they're acting like a member and felt that they should abide by that mandate. And therefore, they could not come to Maryland to play Navy. Instead, they will play Western Michigan in South Bend as their only non-conference opponent uh, very disappointing to Navy fans. That's the end of a 93-year tradition. As I wrote my article, that game has always been touted as the longest continuous intersectional rivalry in college football. That term no longer applies because this one-year hiatus ends that distinction. So Ward, as the resident historian and USNI expert on this, we talked a little bit about it, and I've sent some snarky quotes today directed at uh, Notre Dame, all in good fun, of course. But, you know, it, it, for those who might not necessarily be completely abreast of the importance of the game and how we helped Notre Dame out in the past, can you kind of give a Notes version of that? Yeah, so basically, um, because the male population was being called to war, Notre Dame found itself uh, kind of in a hole in terms of tuition. So the U.S. Navy solved their problem by making their campus a training base. And uh, as a function of that, Notre Dame vowed that they would play the Naval Academy football team from that point forward. So that's kind of the uh, cliff note version of why that game has been uh, so sacrosanct, you know, since the, uh, well, the, you know, unbroken since 1927, but certainly codified from World War II on. So for me, um, I, I found it pretty interesting that immediately they found, um, you know, a new, a new team to play. So that's great. I, you know, we, we were able to fill um, that game and that's going to be now Brigham Young University. It's a pretty good Pretty good team. They gave Hawaii a run for their money. It was a pretty powerful offensive team in their bowl game last year. So they're going to make the trip from scenic Provo, Utah, to uh, to Annapolis, Maryland for the game uh, here Labor Day weekend. You know, for me, obviously, it it it's a bummer because we wanted to see Notre Dame, but you know, BYU is a pretty good a pretty good program. So, yeah, Ward, what's your opinion on that one? Well, I think it's a great sub. You know, I mean, it's not a uh, name like. Notre Dame, nor does it have the tradition of Notre Dame, but 
that that's a great kick save. Uh, I'm pretty happy that uh, the Labor Day um, gap is now filled with BYU. I think that'll be a, a really entertaining uh, ball game. I was asking Coach Niamatololo in the uh, in the press conference that he did today. You know, what other teams were in consideration? He mentioned some FCS teams, um, some other you know good programs, but he really thought that BYU could keep themselves safe and could travel well and pay for testing and that whole thing. You know, Ward broke the uh, story on uh, us getting BYU to to fill that gap. Was there any other context in there you wanted to have? Well, I'll just tell you this, John. I heard some of the names of schools that were possible replacement games, and it wouldn't have been anything that thrilled you. BYU is a successful program with a lot of tradition, and there's some neat tie-ins here. One of Navy's greatest victories in program history was in the 1978 Holiday Bowl when legendary wide receiver return man Phil McConkie led Navy to an upset of BYU. And uh, there's a lot of ties between the two coaching staffs. Uh, The head coach at BYU, Kalani Sataki, comes from the same small town on Oahu as Ken Niamatololo. They've known each other for years. Uh, Ken Niamatololo's boyhood best friend is part of the support staff at BYU. As we know, BYU tried to hire Ken Niamatololo, and that was it came very close. I mean, it, never in my time did I think that Niamat was leading other than that BYU opportunity. And furthermore, his son, Vaha, played at BYU. So there's a lot of interconnections, and obviously I don't even need to mention the fact that Ken Niamatololo is a devout Mormon and obviously BYU is the flagship university of the Church of Latter-day Saints. So it's I think there's a lot of fun to be had and don't underestimate a 8 p.m. time slot on ESPN. Prime time, that's good for both programs. And I can so, tell you having grown up in Utah, the only thing that's really bad is for the businesses of downtown Annapolis and that you're not going to get the people of Provo rolling in here partying it up but Still, they'll probably travel a bunch, and you know, a bunch of them might want to come out and see Annapolis for the first time, but it won't be a huge party crowd. Go ahead, Ward. Well, but we don't know, again, if it's a fans uh, game or not, right? We don't know if there's a crowd. But, Wags, you bring up, I remember distinctly the rumors that were surrounding the 2015 Army-Navy game, um, and, and that was Keenan's, you know, uh, swan song. And I just remember how uh, the, the rumors uh, were swirling about how uh, Coach Niamatololo had been uh, nearly poached by BYU. Um, so I haven't thought about that until you brought it up, but I remember that very much. Yeah, you know, at least they get to play someone. And like Niamat said on the presser today, now they know who they're playing. They know when they're playing. It's, um, it's something to look forward to now. And if fans get to attend or if fans don't get to attend, yeah, that that's the next shoe to shoe to drop, and and you mentioned it, Ward. Yeah, it, it it's it's a big thing that has yet to be addressed, and I think that there are several conversations that still have to happen with Governor Hogan. Still have to see in the next couple of weeks how uh, how this develops. But I think I think yeah, the 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 idea of fans being in the stands is a long shot at best. So, well, Ward, have you gotten the call? that you're on the chain gang crew Monday night, Labor Day in uh, 8 p.m. kickoff. Are you going to be there? Um, I don't know. The conversations between the chain gang are happening. Um, and, 
But I, let me ask you in return, um, am I going to be getting my normal box of Under Armour swag or is that, what's the status of that deal? Right. I mean, I get, that's how I get my shoes every year, you know, uh, my, I, my, my chain gang box of stuff. Yeah. Under Armour is still a partner with Navy. The, what I reported previously was that Under Armour is renegotiating some of their sponsorship packages. Under Armour has, is struggling at the moment and they've overextended themselves and they have to come back and renegotiate. Now, as it relates to Navy, they had a clause in their contract that if a season did not end, like the spring sports season did not end, they're, they're due a refund of some sort. But Under Armour and Navy are still partners. Navy is still getting all of its uniform and apparel from Under Armour. Nothing's changed. You'll be getting your Under Armour gear board. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. Woo. That, nice. that's, everything. that's everything to me. <laughs> so as we go out, um, obviously great conversation. Check out uh, the video that, that Ward and I did today. We posted that on our social media when it first broke. As always, plaudits to Bill Wagner for breaking this all day, working all day. Um, I know Ward is now in shape for his chain gang responsibilities. He walked 18 at the brand new Naval Academy golf course today at opening day. More to come on that on our next pod when we actually feature the golf course. But I'll end up by saying really neat having BYU in here. I grew up in Utah. Um, you know, I was talking to Navy baseball assistant coach Bobby Applegate today who coached at BYU. We're really excited about it. We're going we're gonna to party it up and tailgate like, like only Utah people can. So uh, great insight. Again, great conversations. When we come back, we've got an awesome segment with uh, two of our alumni from Navy women's basketball, Courtney Davidson, whose jersey was raised to the rafters last year, and Ashley Pelzik. They both played the same position. They played on the same team for a couple of years. Davidson class of 04, Pelzik class of 06. We're going to talk to them when we come back. Before we go to break, I will uh, remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by Mills Fine Wine and Spirits, located in downtown Annapolis at City Dock, owned by Jerry and Jen Donahoe, class of 94. Please rely on Mills for your beverage and refreshment needs. They deliver to your boat, to your home, and have great deals for grads and non-grads alike. We're going to go to break really quick. This is Sing Second Sports. Okay, we're back. Let's let's shift gears from football to women's basketball. Uh, we're really excited about this segment. Um, we are joined by two really great names uh, in the history of Naval Academy women's basketball. First of all, we're joined by Ashley Pelzik. She graduated from the Naval Academy in 2006 with a BS in international relations. She's originally from Western Mass. She attended East Longmeadow High School. Uh, and basically at the end of her career, she was a McDonald's All-American nominee, sort of like LeBron, a tiny bit different, but you know what I'm getting at. She played basketball all four years at the academy and was team captain her first year. Upon graduation, uh, she service assigned to NFO and became an FA-18 Wizzo. She completed tours at Top Gun, VFA-106, and did two deployments on board USS George H.W. Bush. Uh, one of those, uh, or you know, the work up to the first deployment was with me as the PAO, and Pelzik and I have plenty of war stories about the XO on that ship, but I digress. 
she left the Navy in 2017 and attended MIT's Sloan School for Management. Uh, and since 2019, she's been with McKinsey & Company as an associate. Joining Ashley Pelzik is Courtney Davidson, now Courtney O'Brien. Lieutenant Colonel O'Brien was a four-year standout for the midshipmen from 2000 to 2004. Just the second player in Patriot League history, now one of seven, but at the time just the second player to have earned all league honors in all four seasons. She is the all-time leading scorer at the Naval Academy. She finished with 1,857 points. And just this past year, we raised her jersey to the rafters, joining Becky Dowling. Uh, she was commissioned into the Marine Corps following her graduation in 2004 uh, as a KC-130 Super Hercules pilot. And she's currently assigned to the Pentagon, uh, which she enjoys a great deal, I can tell by the look on her face. So Ashley and Courtney, thanks so much for making time to join us today. How are you guys doing? Doing no great, problem. John. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks for having you. Happy to be here. So uh, let me kick it. I'll, I'll go to I'll go to uh, Courtney first. Um, how like I'll I'll just get right to the thrust of what we do this podcast for. We're trying to get you know we're trying to make other grads and Navy fans appreciate as you guys have the physical mission at the Naval Academy. Um, what what did the physical mission provide you in terms of your success? going into the fleet, going into the Marine Corps as a KC-130 pilot. And, and for you and Ashley, you know, how did the physical mission, how did your experience on the basketball team really give you the lessons you needed for success beyond the Naval Academy? Well, I, I think that the physical mission of the Naval Academy and the varsity sports there bring people like myself and Ashley to the Naval Academy who would have never considered that a potential path for our lives uh, in the first place. I had absolutely no desire um, whatsoever to uh, to attend the Naval Academy. It was all basketball that uh, strike that struck my interest, and then I'm definitely uh, glad that that I made that happen. I think the while you're a varsity athlete there, you do um, it's kind of a release. It's something that you really value the relationships that you build with your teammates, the the, the trials and, and the errors and everything that you get through definitely makes you a whole lot stronger. Um, when you go out into the fleet and uh, and become you know commissioned and and you're used to making a team work together and that's uh, what I've carried forward in my relationship with all the Marines that I've served with. Yeah, I'll pile on there. I think Courtney spoke quite a bit to sort of the team building aspect and all those things. I think there's also an element of just being able to manage your time well. That sports at the academy really prepares you for. Um, as she mentioned, basketball is probably the thing you look forward to most all day. But because you're so back-to-back -back from essentially 6 a.m. or whenever you wake up until maybe 1 a.m., 2 a.m. if you're lucky when you finish all of your homework, um, really when you get to something like flight school, for me, it felt like it was easy almost. So at the Naval Academy, because you're just, I mean, when you compare that to some of your ROTC classmates or some of the people from OCS you're going through with, they seem pretty stressed or like it's just a lot to manage. Whereas I felt like for a lot of my classmates, it was tough and it was difficult and something you definitely had to put a lot of time into during the day. But to actually have an afternoon off some days or something like that was, was, was brand new to us and something that felt very manageable and uh, attainable at the time. Hey guys, it's Ward. Um, as John said at the outset, I'm, I'm class of 82. So when I was a mid, um, the first group of, of female mids were, were there. Um, and obviously they were pioneers that sort of, you know, that, labeled sort of underplays the reality of their experience and then Courtney when you were a mid I was on the faculty there on my last tour um, I was fresh from being CAG ops actually I'm a Tomcat Rio so I was fresh from being CAG ops for CAG one 
my last four years, uh, I was on the faculty there, and it, it, I noticed a lot uh, of difference between the attitudes towards female mids and the, uh, the, the way that female mids, let's just say it, was, it seemed less of a big deal. There was less of a differentiation. Um, it was more normalized. And so I'm just wondering how you guys felt as mids and then what that taught you or what you were able to guard against when you got to the fleet. And, and did that help you uh, downplay it, work through the, the, the stumbling, potential stumbling blocks of a male dominant? Because you're both aviators. So, you know, it's traditionally, uh, certainly in my career time frame, a male dominated warfare specialty. What do you think of when I, when I tee up that question? Well, I think um, I can probably hit this one first, uh, coming from the Marine Corps, which still remains probably the least like integrated service when it comes to indoctrination training. And I think for me, I mean, the only way I ever knew it was going to the Naval Academy. And from day one in plebe summer, we were right next to all, all the males and, and all the guys. And um, we weren't really treated any differently there. We were going through the exact same thing with the rest of our squad mates. So I didn't know anything, uh, anything differently. And I will say that I think right off the bat in plebe summer, there's a lot of focus on, on, on physically keeping up. And um, luckily, I never had a problem with that. And I think that gained me some instant credibility. Um, with with the, my male counterparts and um, I was you know always treated as an equal and I can say that you know I've carried that along with me in, in my career um, in the Marine Corps but at the same time I recognized that um, my fellow Marines whether they were an officer and they went to, to OCS or you know they're they're enlisted and that they uh, they went through you know segregated uh, battalions um, that weren't you know gender integrated that that's a big difference and I think the Naval Academy does it right and everyone's treated equally right off the bat and then the other thing I'll say is you know that doesn't that doesn't say that there aren't problems such as you know sexual harassment and assault and all that going on in the military but I will say that the strength of our relationships that we built within the basketball team. Um, for me and, and with all of our other teammates, that we did a very good job of keeping each other out of trouble and keeping each other in good situations and watching out for one another. So that I think, you know, we got out in front of a lot of those things uh, being an issue because we were such a strong group of, uh, of cohesive females at the time. Yeah, I'll, I'll second everything Courtney says. I think, I think the thing she hit on at the end too that, that I was going to mention is that we just look out for one another. I think, um, I think with the team, as she mentioned, it starts there, right? And so our team was very close. Not to say we didn't get into sort of minor trouble. Um, we were definitely a fun team to be a part of. But we, it was always, you know, that whether it was Lisa, who was a, the captain when I was a freshman, sort of looking out for me, or Courtney, or someone else pulling me aside um, and just asking how things were going. I'll be honest, I, I struggled with academics my, my first year. And having the teammates there, as opposed to sort of these upperclassmen you don't really know, who are more so just kind of, giving you a harder time and making your life a little worse, having the teammates there to actually help you was a huge advantage. Um, and I think that kind of extends throughout and just having that group of people you really trust that looks out for you was something that when I got to the fleet and saw, how, you know, there are fewer aviators in the F-18 or female aviators in the F-18 community there, uh, than are a percentage of women at the Naval Academy. So that was a, a huge difference. And I think there was a couple of things that worked for me there. One to Courtney's point, if you do well, if you succeed from the get-go and you, you show up prepared, maybe you're a little bit more assertive, um, you're probably going to do well, and that will likely carry through as your reputation. The second piece of that is when you get to the fleet, one of the first things I noticed is there just weren't any women. 
And those that were there just didn't even know each other. They weren't even friends. And um, John knows there's a woman that was a little bit older than me in my air wing, Jax. um, And in her generation, they didn't talk to one another. They weren't friends. And so she and I, along with about four or five incoming women, just said, hey, let's, you know, we were just kind of naturally friends, but we made a concerted effort as women joined the air wing to really bring them in and make sure that they were okay and that they were a part of the group and that they succeeded, but that they knew we were there for them. And I think it made a big difference with how women performed and why they were successful in our air wing, largely. So which uh, fleet squadron were you in, Ashley? Uh, I was in VFA 213 twice, so for my first tour, and then I was there as a training officer uh, up until 2017. Okay, cool. Black Lines, friend of mine was the skipper. Well, famous, fighting Black Lines. Yeah, yeah. That was a Tomcat squadron back in the day. Um, so what the audience can't see, because it's a podcast, is your backdrop is you're the lead airplane in a fingertip. It's very cool. You have two uh, airplanes over your shoulder. I love it. Looking great. Is that yeah, from the from Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick? Maverick? Yeah, that's from the Top Gun Maverick backdrop. This is my yes. work Zoom background. <laughs> Someday that movie may come out. Um, so we're excited about that. Wags, go ahead. Hello, Courtney and Ashley. Good to see you both. Um, I am not exaggerating when I say that one of the most emotional moments of any sporting event I attended at the Naval Academy this year, this past school year, was when Courtney had her jersey retired. I was covering the Army-Navy men's game. Catherine Fomenique, my colleague, was covering the women's game, but I made sure to get there in time to see that ceremony. It was awesome. I'm getting tears thinking about it now. But it was so cool. Applaud Stephanie Pemper for doing it. It was so well-deserved. I think, what are you now, only the second Navy women's basketball player to have her jersey retired, Courtney? Um, yes, yes, I am. Uh, they, uh, retired Becky Dowling's Jersey, um, back, I think, uh, it was about five or so years ago, I think. Well, I think there are others that may deserve to have their jerseys retired. Um, maybe some of these players from Stephanie Pemper's early teams that went to NCAA tournaments, but, uh, just kind of talk about what that day meant to you, Courtney. Ashley, I don't know if you were there. I know a lot of alums did come back. There was a party, a reception that was part of it. But it just, I thought it was inspiring. It meant a lot to all the current women's basketball players to see one of their own, a predecessor, recognized. Just tell me what that day meant to you, Courtney. Um, It meant a ton to me. Um, It was something that was completely unexpected and um, something that totally caught me off guard when I got the call from NAAA telling me that it was going to happen. And I think the thing that made it honestly the most special was the fact that so many of my teammates came in and everyone rallied. And I don't even know the exact number of people that we had that weekend, but just catching up with everyone and having everyone there to support each other um, was, was totally, totally awesome. And another thing that I was, that I was pretty, pretty happy about is, um, you know, like I said before, I, I had no idea what the Naval Academy was. I had no idea what, you know, a Naval officer did. I certainly didn't have any type of aspirations of becoming a Marine officer um, when I decided to go to the Naval Academy, but it was particularly important for me um, to go to that ceremony and be there and be there in my uniform to show like the Naval Academy gate opened up a world of opportunities for me in a, in a very rewarding life this, thus far and something that I'm very happy that I've done. And that um, I wanted to show that, you know, there are many people who go to the Academy, they excel in the classroom, they excel in sports, but that they do have careers 
you know, I think what I've done in my 16 years uh, since I've graduated, um, I'm actually a little bit more proud of that um, than I am of my basketball career, just because of um, the impact that it's had on, on multiple people's lives and the missions that we fulfilled. But I was really proud to be able to be there um, in my Marine uniform and, uh, and show that. Yeah, I think for Courtney's probably the most humble person I've ever met in my entire life. I played two seasons literally right behind her, same position, everything. Um, there wasn't a day that went by where Courtney thought, you know, hey, I'm the best player on this team or this league or every basketball court we stepped onto. Um, she would stay, you know, stay after practice late, shoot around with anyone. She would keep me around for shooting drills, and she really pumped up my ego. I don't know many upperclassmen at many schools that would take the time to work with sort of, you know, what might be considered a successor in their position and work with them and push them and, and just make everyone around her better. I think what was so cool about that night was, again, I know Courtney's surprised. None of us were surprised that it happened, but I think it just reinforced, you know, all of our teammates flew in, some, some for just a day from Hawaii, um, some from the West Coast, from all over the world. Some were coming in from Europe and some didn't even play with Courtney and they, they made the trip. And I think it just says a lot more about not just Courtney, but what the Navy women's basketball group has really become. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to the past coaches and the current coaches who are still doing a great job now. And I know you guys will talk to Coach Taylor, but he, they were already doing a great job of bringing us alumni together and realizing just how important that bond is, because that's far more important than the four years we played basketball. That came and went. But the relationship we have now with these people, it's just, it's incredible. It's the best part of you know, the decision to go to the Naval Academy. Now I'll hit with a little bit more of a hard-hitting question. Um, I think what frustrates all of us that care about Navy women's basketball is the stop-start nature. You all, Courtney played for Joe Sanchez. You did for a little bit. He recruited you. Joe Sanchez at one point had it going on for Navy women's basketball, and it built it up and created a very competitive program, one that could compete for Patriot League championships. And then – for various reasons, Joe departed. Tom Marriott did not enjoy as much success. Stephanie Pepper came in, and she got the program going again. Multiple Patriot League championships, going to NCAA tournaments, uh, won a game in the women's NIT, and then things faded for Stephanie, and she's now gone. And so we're starting over again. I mean, I guess just kind of both of you talk to what, what has to happen for some continuity, some sustained success for Navy women's basketball. And I will tell you, I'm very impressed with Coach Taylor. Uh, I've gotten to know him a little bit. We have never met in person. We've talked on the phone. Our first telephone conversation, we talked for over an hour and got completely away from the topic of him being hired to talking about – he was asking me as many questions as I was asking him. So I do feel good about Coach Taylor. But just talk about that. It's frustrating because it, it just can't seem to find a, a consistency here. I think the tough part that every coach has to balance, and this isn't true just for women's basketball, by the way, is they have to truly understand what life as a midshipman is like while also setting the expectations and maintaining high standards for the sports team. And so I think the past coaches have tried to do this very well, but I think sometimes there's been sort of a teetering of that balance in one way, or shape, or form. And I, and I can only speak to having played for Coach Sanchez for one year and Marriott for a few and I think they had very different styles of adapting to what academy life was like. I will say Coach Marriott really cared about what we had to adhere to on the, on the Navy side of the house, what our you know, regulations were, 
um, just, you know, kind of staying in line. It was his first time coaching women. So I'll give him a little bit of slack there. But I think, I think where Stephanie found immediate success was she was able to really bond with her players up front. And I think they, they all liked each other. They, they bonded with each other and they really believed in the program she was building. And I think that's what allowed her to succeed for so long. And she kind of stuck to that formula. I think with some of the prior coaches, at least that I played with, something changed every year, right? There was a new offense, some new players came in. We tried to change everything for one or two players. And I think for them, it seemed like from the games I was able to, to watch, they really stuck to more of what works for a team like Navy, because you're not going to get those necessarily hotshot recruits every year or the things other teams have the luxury of getting. Yeah, and I think that I agree with everything that Ashley said, and I just think, you know, one more thing uh, to add to it is really, you know, you can recruit as hard as, as hard as you possibly can and try to get the best type of players and that you're, you're assessing their character through the whole recruiting process. But then once they get to the academy, you've got to continue to build their character in that, in that environment. And, um, you know, you can have a couple of really strong players who don't feel – um, don't feel, you know, great with the team or get in trouble as midshipmen and then they could, you know, not make it beyond their plebe or their youngster year. Or you could have a midshipman who, who comes and they're playing and that you're not cultivating that character. You're not surrounding them by good people. You're not having that kind of, you know, I'll use a Marine term, that little bit of intrusive leadership that you need to probably apply a little bit as a coach and making sure that you're keeping them in a position where they can stay on the court for you while at the same time building building their character and helping them out, you know, academically if they need to and giving them the tools to succeed both on and off the court. Hey, I'll hop in um, maybe with a lighter question. Uh, I, I had completely forgotten until you guys were talking. I think both of you had a couple of years with Book, right? With uh, Coach Hassan Booker. I mean, I know there's oh, yeah. got to be there's got to be at least one story. <laughs> I mean, come so on. So Booker, <laughs> Booker's like my my favorite love hate relationship coach. I feel like Booker was awesome. He got it. He pushed us hard. Um, I know what Courtney's laughing about, and I hope she tells the rest of the story, but he basically nicknamed me Charmin because, let's be honest, I liked shooting deep threes, and I didn't exactly drive to the paint a whole lot, so I was pretty soft. But he has a, a particular drill in mind that was his favorite, and it would essentially what it, what it was is you had each player, when called, had to stand on the baseline and take a charge from each side, and he would point to two layup lines, one on the left side of the court, one on the right, and you couldn't see from behind you who he was pointing at. And so Abby Campbell, now Dryden, and Courtney would always go to the front when it was my turn. And they would just dribble at me, knee, wouldn't even shoot, I don't think. That's my memory of it. I'm sure it wasn't that bad, but I can see Courtney laughing. So, Yeah, and I, I, I mean, that was what I was thinking about, too. But something was, was uh, awesome about having him involved in our program is, is at the time, I think he was a, a lieutenant. Um, but he came with that toughness. And then we saw that kind of toughness that he had and that he was applying to us in the basketball court. And he knew that we were going to need a degree of that toughness once we got out to the fleet. And so that's why I think that we responded to that and why it was uh, really good to have him on the coaching staff for a period. I think he probably yeah, knew he that got it. his teammate, Mike Heary, probably never took a single charge. And so he was trying to, he was trying to get that out of you guys. Um, I, I couldn't, I couldn't let that go by without asking, asking that question. So really quick before I let you go and, and I'll see if Ward has, has a last question. If you had someone, maybe a current member of the brigade, uh, someone who's struggling with, you know, whether to stay, um, at the Naval Academy through all the mess, which is the pandemic, 
Um, or if there's a prospective Naval Academy uh, women's basketball player out there, what would, the, what would the one piece of advice be? What would you tell them? Not that you want to become a recruiting video, but, you know, just keeping it real. Um, you know, what, what would your advice be? I think my advice would be, and this is really hard to tell somebody who's, you know, between the ages of 17 and 22 years old, but we just look at this, try to look at this as a long-term thing. Um, the Naval Academy is wonderful and you learn a great deal in those four years and the experiences there are invaluable. However, most of what makes going to the Naval Academy so important and it are the long-term benefits and how that translates for the rest of your life. Some of it is as fun as getting back together with our team and having that experience at Courtney's retirement uh, ceremony for her jersey. Other parts of it are, are just very applicable to getting jobs later on, what your, what your grad school opportunities are like, um, just networking. I mean, there's so many different aspects of it that are, all these doors are opened up to you. And it's in a socioeconomic way, that is, it's the great equalizer for many people. So I think that'd be, that'd be my answer is just think about it long-term. Sounded like the answer of a Sloan School graduate. That was very nice. Yeah, and I think the only thing that, that I would add to that is that um, they don't, they're not going to have to question after the Naval Academy when uh, the day that they graduate and they're, you know, finding their next job and their next portion of life. They're not going to question whether what they're doing matters. It's guaranteed to matter. It's guaranteed to make a difference. And it's guaranteed to give a service to something larger than yourself in our country. So um, that's highly rewarding. And you can choose to do that for for five years, you can, or 20 or 30 years, and that's up to you, but at least you know that that's what you're uh, signing up to do and that you're gonna get, be given the tools to succeed in, in accomplishing that. Ward, did you have a last one? So, uh, Colonel O'Brien, we mentioned you're at the Pentagon. You're, you're working at Headquarters Marine Corps as the Aviation Readiness Officer. Who is ACMAC now? Remind me who has that job. The uh, Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps is uh, General Thomas right now. Okay, I don't think I know him. Um, so, what do you? What's on your plate? What's What's happening? What's the What is the Marine Corps Aviation focused on right now? Um, we are focused on making sure that our aircraft and our crews are uh, ready to fly and support any type of a uh, mission that we could be assigned worldwide. We're really um, we faced a couple of years of some degrading, you know, readiness and flying, you know, the crap out of our aircraft and our assets in Iraq and Afghanistan. And right now we're prioritizing material readiness while modernizing our fleet. You know, we're building up our F-35 squadrons um, and uh, we're starting to build up the 53K. And, uh, you know, we're heading into this decade out until 2030. We're redesigning our force uh, to make sure that we're uh, poised for the future threat and that we have aircraft ready to do that. So my dad was a Marine Corps attack pilot. I went to Havelock High School, lived on Cherry Point during my high school years. Um, which is kind of why I went Navy Air. Um, no, just kidding, Dad. Um, no, good answer and, and good luck there. As we were joking before we went on air, uh, Pentagon duty is not, not the, the best, and, and thank you for doing it so we don't have to. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this too will end, right? Are you headed back to the fleet? Are you going to be getting an air wing or anything like that? Um, hopefully, hopefully that's in my future. Um, this is actually my first tour. I, I had been in the aircraft my entire career up until this point. So now I'm getting a little bit of a flavor of the behind the scenes effort. Um, but yes, I definitely want to go back to the KC-130 community um, in some form or fashion and obviously um, continue to make a difference there. So that's what I'll be looking forward to. And, uh, you know, got to keep on performing at the Pentagon to get the opportunity to do that. So, so I'll, I'll, you know, 
I'll keep on, I'll keep on putting in that work. <laughs> I'm sure it'll work out and you'll be back in the cockpit before you know it. Good luck. Thank you. And so Pels, I'll finish it off. Uh, what is life like now for you? Um, having survived two tours or two deployments on CBN 77, uh, you obviously, you know, it, it's, it's not like a vacation being at the Sloan School uh, at MIT, but how do you like life as a civilian at McKinsey? Um, I'll, I, you sort of combined the last two things there. I'll say Sloan School was awesome. It was, it was like a vacation in some ways. Uh, it was a great break. Life at McKinsey has been a challenge. I actually just wrapped up my first year there. Being a civilian is awesome, um, but I'm heading on to a new job actually next week in the startup world. So that'll be a completely new chapter new challenge back in the aviation space uh, with some aviation technology business development. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I think just the opportunities have been really cool and there's so much more out there than I even realized. Um, so I can thank MIT for opening my eyes to that. Yeah, John and our producer, Chris, know a thing or two, or they're learning a thing or two about startups yeah. here. So <laughs> we, can right now. <laughs> we can relate. We can relate. I know if you, there are advertising opportunities available for you. Um, no, uh, so, uh, as we go out here, uh, I was there. I was there that night um, as Courtney's jersey was lifted to the rafters. And Wags, we make fun of Wags's um, late onset emotions, uh, but it really was a special, a special day. And 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 Ashley, I think you know full well where I'm going with this. The second I ever had to walk a DV group into that ready room, um, you know, I was going to one person. And it was usually you, and it wasn't because you were the only female in that uh, squadron. It was because you were awesome at your job. Um, you know, it, it was a no brainer as we were putting together the guest list for this, uh, to, um, to talk about maybe, uh, women's basketball to, to go to you guys and, and for, to hear you talk about the bond that exists that, that you guys had there, that you had in the fleet that you had in that air wing and Caggate uh, Pels that it, it just, it reinforces everything we're trying to do with this podcast. So, um. You know, I really appreciate both of you uh, coming on here. And as we go out, quick game of of one on one to ten, who wins between the two of you? Courtney, ten nothing probably right now. <laughs> oh, um, I don't know. I'm about to go outside and do some uh, do some pull ups and some thrusters. Um, so I've been staying in pretty good shape. However, I do know that in that game of one and one, one on one, it would be between me and Pels, there would be like no defense being played. Um, so it would depend if it was make it or take it or not. That would be the determination. True. That's a good point. Yeah. I'd hit at least one three, I'd like to think, but that's probably it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, we, we PAOs here. We're about to go out and do some pull-ups and thrusters too. It's uh, the culture of fitness. So, all right. Well, Hey, um, both of you. So, so nice having type. you on. <laughs> okay. Morgan. So nice having you guys on. Um, we, we look forward to having you on again. Hopefully, uh, as we get into a women's basketball season, we, we need a subject matter expert. Um, looking forward to having you. And uh, as you go out, as you go out into the uh, into your next challenges, no matter where they may be, we wish you the best of luck and know that the people at Sync Second Sports are behind you. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks. It was great being here. Appreciate what you're doing. No problem. All right. So we're going to go to break. That was Ashley Pelzik and Courtney O'Brien. Um, awesome representatives, not only of the Naval Academy women's basketball team, but of the Naval Academy itself. Um, come back when we uh, return. We will be joined by Naval Academy women's basketball coach Tim Taylor. This is Singh Second Sports.
You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, we're back. Uh, what an awesome conversation with Ashley Pelzik and Courtney O'Brien. Uh, I still kind of think that um, that Pelzik would would get a few more points on uh, on Courtney, but that's just me being biased. Um, so we're shifting gears to the coach segment. We are really happy to be joined by Tim Taylor. He's the newest uh, Navy women's basketball coach. He was a decorated assistant coach from the Atlantic Coast Conference uh, and was announced on April 28, 2020, as the new head coach of the Navy women's basketball program. Uh, most recently an assistant on the staff of the University of North Carolina during the 2019-2020 campaign. Taylor has honed his craft with 12 seasons of great Division I success and experience, with a majority coming at the University of Virginia. Taylor is a 1989 graduate of James Madison with a degree in political science. He later earned his master's degree in educational administration in 2012. Uh, He and his wife, Tanya, are the proud parents of three children, Jordan, Dalton, and Jackson. So happy to be joined by Tim Taylor on the Sing Second Sports Podcast. Coach, how are you doing? Doing wonderful. Uh, ready to get started. Uh, wish COVID would go away, but I think we're all uh, in holding pattern with that. So, Awesome. Uh, I'll, I'll let Wags ask the first question after this, but we've asked uh, the coaches kind of the same thing um, on every show. How have you adapted to this, both on a personal level and on a professional level? I was on a, an interview with Ivan Jasper yesterday of the football team, um, and he gave an amazing answer about just, you know, football kind of – I'm sure he didn't really mean this, but football eventually became secondary, that he, that he used this time during the pandemic to become a better husband, to become a better dad, or work on things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, so on a personal level, how has it affected you? And then on a professional level, you know, what, what's it like starting a brand new job during kind of a once in a lifetime event? Well, I think, I think everybody, um, you know, I think it, time slowed down a little bit, you know, and I think when you sit back and you look at it and, you know, in some ways I'm grateful that I've been able to spend time with my kids. You know, we were in a situation where, you know, we, you know, I had two active kids, so we were all running all over the place. We're going here for games. We're going there. And actually during the pandemic, we got back to, I guess, the, the home values that you were, you grew up on. You know, you sat down at the dinner table. You cooked dinner every day. You were together. All the activities were together. So it, it ended up showing you exactly how much family and what really is important in this world. And I realized that the TV is not as important. You know, it's more the relationships and the bonds that you can do with your kids and your wife and your family. So I think that's that's been one of the things on a personal level that um, unfortunately my kid, my one of my kids wasn't here. Jordan wasn't here, but Dalton was. And so he got five months to get stuck with his dad. He thought he was done with him. So, you know, so uh, but he got stuck with me. He had to come back from college. <laughs> so but as a professionally, you know, you know, I'm one of those I don't overreact. So it's just been one of those. Uh, you just deal the hand that you're, you're dealt and, and you play the cards that you dealt. And I think one of the things that uh, I'm, I'm just very thankful to have this opportunity and, and I look at it as an opportunity to grow uh, opportunity. Actually, to be honest with you, I think we've been able to get a better relationship with our kids in some ways, because we've actually been on the phone with them. We've had longer conversations. Uh, you know, we've had the virtual meetings. So I think it's given us more time to focus on, on our kids 
and, and the recruiting. So I think as far as the recruiting, we've had a lot more conversations with kids. So I think we get to know them a lot better before they get here, if that makes sense. Tom, good to see you. Uh, we still have not met. We've talked on the phone. We are now seeing each other face-to-face, but one day I look forward to meeting you. Maybe this will get through this and we can actually sit down and have lunch. Um, when I got the uh, press release announcing Coach Taylor's Absolutely. hiring, I, I read through his resume and I was just like, wow, blown away. This guy's been at big-time programs and I uh, called Chuck Gladchuck and said, wow, it looks like you really got a good guy here. And he said, oh, man, Bill, this coach checks all the boxes. Uh, he blew me away in the interview when I did the interview with him. And then I called people about him and not one, you know, the, just what people said about Coach Taylor. So I feel really good about Navy women's basketball in the hands of Coach Taylor. And as mentioned, when we talked, we had a long conversation, got off topic after I got done interviewing him about the job. But welcome aboard, Tim. And just why don't you just tell us some of your thoughts about where you need to go with Navy women's basketball. When we were on with the alums, we talked about the start, start nature of Navy women's basketball. That's had success, and then it's, you know, backslid a bit. Uh, I think everybody's looking for some consistency here. Uh, it starts with consistency of coaching. But why don't you just kind of tell me your thoughts, your visions for Navy women's basketball? Well, I think anything, you, you got to lay a foundation. Uh, and I think a lot of it, Bill, it comes down to who you hire. You know, one of the biggest things, as you and I had talked about, I took a long time in hiring my staff. And I think one of the biggest things that I, I felt like I could do for Navy women's basketball, the program and the academy, was hire really good people. And I, and I think in, in today's world, I think before head coaches could do a lot, I think in, in today's social media world and, and all the obligations that you have as a head coach, that you got to hire really good people and allow them to do their job. And I think one of the things there, I feel really blessed with the staff that we put together. Um, you know, after I hire them, they've kept, they've made me work really hard. They've been recruiting hard. So I've, I've been on the phone a lot. So they've been, been doing a lot of good things there. But really, I, Bill, my, I think the question is, can you sustain something? You know, it, it's one thing to be a flash in a pan and, and be able to win one NCAA game. But really what we're trying to build here is a perennial winner on and off the court. We want to bring the right type of kids in here. I think Courtney hit it, you know, you keep changing systems to fit players because of your recruiting. And it, I don't think you can win like that. I think, you know, I've been part of what well, I watched Tony Bennett, you build a system and you recruit to that system. And that's kind of what we really want to do here. There's certain things that we want to accomplish and things I want to do as a basketball coach. And I've been doing it a long time. So I think there's some pretty good things that, that I've been blessed with and been around some really good people that can help us win some games. And there's a certain way we want to play and we're going to recruit to that style. So we know that. Um, and I think really it's bringing in quality student athletes that are servant leaders that want to be a part of something special. And, and honestly, one of the things that we do, we try to scare them away from Navy in the first recruiting call. You know, we tell them how hard it is, how challenging it is. And a lot of times you'll find out what you'll find out the kids that really want to be here. And when you find that out, then we recruit them really, really hard. And we're going after top kids. Honestly, I'm telling you, I'm excited. You're going to hear me talk about this, but who has a better product? I mean, really, I mean, we can offer you five years. We can offer you a career. We can offer you to retire early. You know, that, in COVID-19, that's a big thing. And, we're in, right now, I, I get excited about the kids we're recruiting. We're, we're actually in, in the mix with some top 75 to top 200 kids. Um, and really excited about we got to close the deal. But I think in building the program, we just got to do it on, on – on quality people, on staff and players. You know? 
And my, and my vision is that we want to win NCAA games. You know, it's not, you know, it's not trying, not trying to be arrogant, but we really want to win NCAA games, you know. Well, I'll also add that Coach at Hart, in addition to having a very extensive background in basketball at Hart, he's an educator. Uh, some might yeah. not know that Coach Taylor was a principal of a high school at one point. Uh, he's been a teacher, and I think he brings that background, which is very important in my mind. Um, Coach, you know, you really – kind of struck me down when I – you know, I looked at your resume, and you've been to two big-time programs. You were with Debbie Ryan at Virginia. You were down at North Carolina. And I know if you decided – that you wanted to be a head coach in the ACC or some other Power Five conference, eventually that could have happened for you. And I said to you, why, why Navy? Why come to Navy? It's the Patriot League. And you were like, couldn't believe I was even asking the question. You're like, why not Navy? Are you kidding me? It's an incredible institution yeah. with so much to offer. Kind of expound on how my question got slapped back at me on that one. Well, I, I just think it, you got to know who you are. I am an educator. I'm somebody that wants, you know, if you look at Virginia and you look at, uh, and even Furman when I was there, I think I've been at some institutions that I know when the basketball stopped bouncing, they had, they had a great opportunity. They had a degree that they could fall back on. Um, and, you know, like you said, it, it's one of those things where, you know, this is, this is bigger than just basketball for me. And it's about building relationships. One of the young ladies um, on, on our basketball team in Navy, I let them interview me. You know, I wanted every one of them to interview me. And she asked me, what's your greatest accomplishment as a basketball coach? And I knew where she was going with that. But honestly, my kids call me 25 years later. They pick up the phone. They call. There's a relationship there. And I think a lot of times that's been part of the, the success that we've been able to have, whether it was at the high school, the AAU, or, you know, at Virginia, North Carolina, because – you build bonds there uh, and, and you challenge them to be the best that they can. So when I looked at the Navy job, you know, I, I tell people I'm a man of faith. God blessed me. He let me be, uh, he let me be a dad throughout all this. So I'm, I'm very thankful and blessed for that. Uh, and then when the Navy job came open, I just, I was so excited about it because I know it, it fits who I am. Like I said, I'm an educator. I want my kids to be able to know that they're going to be successful once they get beyond the basketball court. Um, now, in the four years they're going to be here, we're going to push them. We're going to challenge them. We're going to try to inspire them. Uh, but I think that's where Navy fits in. It, it fits who I am to my core. Um, and it's about servanthood. And I, talk, I always I laugh with the people. I say, I'm not that head coach that's not going to pick up the trash. I'm not the head coach that's not going to pick up the bags. You know, I want to be a leader in, the, in that way. And a lot of times, most important people, I've always said, most important people in the, uh, in the building is the uh, custodians. I love it. Love it. Well, let, let me kick it over to Special Sing second correspondent, Ashley Pelzik, for the next question. Ashley. I think, and I don't know if this has been addressed with you, with you fully yet, but I think what's your plan or goal, you know, in sort of bringing all these women together? So we don't really know what next year looks like, and we don't really know what the path forward is um, with, with COVID and all everything that's been going on. But you know, what's your plan to bringing some of these women together when it hasn't been as natural in the past? So a lot of times for freshmen, for example, they go through plebe summer together and right. they get this immense chance to bond. And that's really not going to happen as naturally. Um, and it's not going to be that natural integration with the rest of the upperclassmen that are there for the summer for the basketball team. So, you know, are you guys thinking about that? And is that something you guys have, have sort of kept no, in I mind? Think, yeah, I think actually one of the biggest things that one of the things that I think is really important is being able to build relationships. And I think a lot of that's through conversations. And, and you know, I think anytime you build something 
that's special. It's built on trust. You know, people have to, you know, it's like I told the girls when we first got into this, they're going to trust me initially because, you know, the Naval Academy decided I was going to be the head coach. So with that, they trust you. They trust to a certain degree. But honestly, trust is built over time. It's built over through the tough times. So I think uh, through a lot of conversations, getting to know the kids, knowing who they are, knowing who, what they want, uh, knowing some of their goals. And I think when I let them interview me, like I just said, gave them any question they want, just whatever. I think they're questioning. By, by listening to their questions, it also let me know a lot about them and what's important to them. So I think being able to understand your players and then being able to bring them together. And one of the things that we've done through COVID is, you know, I talk to them uh, as often as I can through this. Each assistant coach is talking. We rotate them during this time. We have our Zoom calls different things like that. So we're really trying to bring them together in those terms as much as we can, Um, you know, and then just kind of doing some fun things like with the videos and the social media, having them do that and let them see the lighter side of it. And then once, who knows what's going to happen as far as once we get back onto the, um, the yard, I think one of the things I'm very uh, cognizant of is being very transparent, you know, allowing the kids. I know I've been in some situations where, you know, People won't give them the schedule until Sunday. Well, no, I want to be transparent. I want to give them the schedule so they can plan different things. We can plan things with them. So it's very, as you'll find out, I'm very anal when it comes to schedules and really trying to, I think you said it, um, you know, being up till one or two in the morning. One of the things that we really want to be able to do is make sure we're aware of their nutrition and aware of their sleep. And I think when you start doing those things, I think it, it builds a camaraderie, if that makes sense. Yeah, Absolutely. I'll, I'll get into um, kind of recruiting. So you, you're in a hotbed area. I don't know if you saw the, uh, the Kevin Durant um, uh, documentary about PG County basketball. Uh, you've right. got Brenda Freeze right down the road, you know, who just recruits the hell out of the area. And you talked about how you're in the mix for a lot of these, you know, top 200 players. Pels was, you know, once a uh, McDonald's All-American nominee which I'm basically going to remind her of every single time I talk to her now. But, um, you know, so in this race to, to get the best players, you've got the Gino Oriamas out there, uh, the Brenda Freezes. you know, what's, what's your approach? Other than selling Navy, you know, what, what have you found is your style and how much of that did you glean from your prior bosses? And you referenced uh, Tony Bennett before, you know, what, what have, you know, what have you learned by watching him? Obviously a very good recruiter. Well, I think anything when it comes down to recruiting and I, and I absolutely believe this, we're not selling the Academy. I don't really feel like we need to sell the Academy. I think that what we, and I tell the recruits that we're, we're providing you an opportunity of a lifetime and it's your choice if you want to jump on that board. And I think one of the things that we're selling if you see our hashtag, it's, it's impact. And it's kind of, you know, I think the Naval Academy is acronym U. So I guess it'll impact will fall right in with this. You know, we want to inspire them. We want to mentor them. We want to uh, prepare them. We want to hold them accountable. We're going to care about them. We're going to teach them. And a lot of times what we, with our recruiting piece to it, um, you know, like I said, we really try to, weed out who can be successful here. And a lot of that is we have to do a lot of background checks. You know, we're, we're having to, there are certain kids that, that may not fit here. And there are definitely certain kids that will fit. And we're finding out there are more, I don't know the last staffs. I can't really talk about that. I don't know how high they were shooting, but we're going to shoot as high as we can and make, make kids tell us no. 
you know, um, and try to bring the best student athletes that we can. And I think one of the things that I really wanted our staff to be is authentic, you know, and that's, I want it to be authentic. I want it to be genuine. I want them to know who we are. And a lot of times those conversations are, Hey, do you like this guy on the other side of the phone? If you do. And when I, when you're being genuine and authentic, I think really that point at that point, they know what they're getting into. You know, they know what they're coming into. It's not something they get here and go, gosh, that's not who he was when he was recruiting me. So I think that gets away from the selling piece to it. And I think that's one of the things I learned from uh, Tony Bennett. Uh, you got to be true to who you are. You know, he's not going to play in the gray area, not going to um, just not going to go outside of the boundaries that he has put himself in in his program. And we will not do this. We will not do that either. You know, and I've learned, I'll tell you, one of the best recruiters I, that I've been around was Sherry Carter at Furman. Tremendous recruiter. I'm telling you right now, um, she, if she had ever been at a Power Five conference, we may be talking about her being in the Hall of Fame. I mean, she was just unbelievable. And, and I think, like I told uh, Ashley, I think what we're trying to build, everything's on trust. You know, we're going to do what we say we do. And I think that uh, this hotbed, you know, in some cases like Maryland, they're going after top 10, top 15. And I think you can go back to, I've said this through the years, the top 50 kids, you know, the top five or 10 in this, in this business are top five or 10. But from about 15 to 50, you know, I think, I think there are kids that are 75 to 150 that you see that are all Americans that are striving to be better and, and they're continuing to work on their craft. And, and a lot of times the ones that are in 50 to 100, they've been patted on the back an awful lot and, and been handed a lot of things. So I think what you find is being able to find the kids that fit into this academy, willing to work, willing to improve. And then one of the big things for us is skill development. We're going to be spending a lot of time on skill development because the Naval Academy not only develops academically, but we have to be able to develop them on the basketball court for four years. And that's kind of why I hired the staff I hired. I love it. Well, last question for me before I kick it to Ward, if he has a last one. Um, you hear a lot about in basketball, these, um, you know, these kind of payoff games, you know, the Kentuckys will schedule, you know, the, 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 the lesser known school for a 40 point beat down and that school gets hundred K or something like that. I know it works a little bit different financially in women's basketball, but now that you've come aboard and you want to put your stamp on the Naval Academy women's basketball program, you know, in the next two to five years, if you, if you had a dream school that you could schedule um, just to give your, give your athletes an experience who would that team be? And, and I think it would be both based a lot on the venue too. So where, where would you want to, what road trip do you want to take your team to? I mean, always the Holy grail would be go to UConn and play UConn. You know, everybody wants to play at stores, but uh, you know, I wouldn't mind going back and uh, you know, you definitely you would love to play like the Virginias and North Carolina's Duke. I love Duke stadium. And I think, uh, you know, Cameron's a, a wonderful stadium, but I think really, I, we hope to be able to build a program where those guys don't want to play us. You know, <laughs> you know that's eventually what we would love to be able to do. Um, but I think those are those, any of the ACC games that, that would give our kids an opportunity, you know, right down the road, you've got Maryland. So really we would love to play two or three of those games a year. I'd love to play, you know, potentially two of those every single year. Would love to be able to take our kids on you know some trips to like Florida to play in some of the bigger tournaments where you just get matched up with some people uh, at different times. So uh, if I would say if I could pick one, you know I've never been to Oregon. If Kelly can keep that thing rolling, maybe we want to go out there and see what we can can do with Oregon. If Kelly can keep it going, you know Sabrina's gone, but I think they got a great recruiting class. Uh, 
But yeah, we definitely want to schedule um, a probably – I would love to be playing some of the ACC uh, schools. Pels, what was the best place you played? Mm, that's a great question. I would, have, I would have killed to play at any of those schools, UConn, Duke. Like that would have been my dream to play at Duke. I think for me I was very lucky. It was always cool. We played at Holy Cross every year, which was really close to home for me. So that was one game a season. I think probably the other – Oh, the other coolest place we played was Hawaii my sophomore year, uh, yeah. Courtney's senior year. We got to play in the Wahine Classic, played Texas, played Arizona, played Syracuse. So that was, that was awesome. And we did well, too, for the most part. Can I get a few right, three-pointers from you this year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll probably be bricks, but I'll, I'll always shoot them up there. <laughs> well, I tell you, my favorite arena is actually, believe it or not, I, I, I love Minnesota, the barn. Oh, my gosh, that's a throwback. Yeah, if you're going to shoot bricks, Ashley, shoot a lot of them, right? That's the same. Yeah, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's Lee Trevino, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Michael Scott from The Office. Well, I told him. <laughs> I love asking kids. I said, what's the, what's, the, uh, what's the most important shot? They were like, lay up three. I'm like, no, the next shot. If you miss 10 in a row, your odds go up, right? <laughs> nice. I like to tell people I was – I led – the team in threes made as well as I definitely led, I think the nation in attempts. So <laughs> percentage was missing somewhere in between there. Make the data work for you, right? That's what you learned it, uh, during your getting your MBA. Um, I'm sure. Exactly. Um, well, well coach, um, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you, you answered all the questions I had with, with your conversation with WAGS. Um, I'll just say that, that your attitude coming aboard in this challenging time makes me believe you're postured for great success here. Um, so you. you have the sing second best wishes and good luck. And we look forward to covering a game in alumni hall in person uh, very right. soon. Um, yes. So welcome to the community. And uh, as you can see from the two guests we had here, you're, you're coming into a great heritage. And as you already know from your one-on-ones via zoom with your players, uh, it's a very special breed that attends the Naval Academy. And, and so thanks for everything you're doing uh, for your part in develop, developing them, not just as athletes, but also as future Naval officers. Well, I greatly appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys having me on. If there's anything I can do to help you in the, in the future, please let me know. It, it's all about helping the Academy uh, at every level. You can help us by having the team sing second. We exactly. hopefully yes yes I, oh, I've been told that you know the, the, during the interview process they were like you need to beat army I'm like yeah I get that they were like no you need to beat army so I hear that about six times within the process I'm like okay I get it <laughs> nice all right well hey coach thanks again for making time uh, particularly during a very busy busy time um, and unique time uh, we wish you and your family the best of health and the best of luck. And thank you uh, for not only coming on to the Sync Second Sports Podcast, but thank you for coming to the Naval Academy. Um, that was Coach Tim Taylor. Um, we are going to go to break. When we return, Ward and I will take this out. We're also going to talk to Heather Skipper of NABSD um, about the Naval Academy golf course. So stick with us. This is Sync Second Sports. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available.
Okay, we're back. Uh, awesome conversation. Really, really uh, fun hearing from Ashley Pelzer, Courtney Davidson, and, and particularly Tim Taylor. Uh, his, his perspective on stuff was really neat. Um, we are going to finish this out before we do. Uh, just like to remind all of our listeners that this pod is brought to you by the good people at Mills Fine Wine and Spirits located right down there at City Dock. Um, they delivered to your boat. They delivered to your home. Uh, luckily, they just came through the tropical storm yesterday unscathed. So if you have beverage needs, uh, please stop by Mills Fine Wine Spirits. Uh, before we go, uh, really momentous day upon us. Uh, the Naval Academy Golf Course opens in our pod next week. Um, you know, parting with Kimono a little bit will be about uh, the Naval Academy Golf Course opening. Um, Ward and I will be there. We're really excited about it. But uh, I think what a lot of members of the Naval Academy uh, Golf Club are excited about is the reopening of the course and the club at Greenberry Point. So we're really happy to be joined for the last five minutes of this podcast by Heather Skipper, who does hospitality with NABSD. With COVID, there are going to be a lot of new rules and regulations in and around the golf course, but particularly in the club at Greenberry Point. Heather, thanks for joining us. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what's going to be different this year? Yes, so we are prepared to receive all of the wonderful golfers, the NAGA members, the NAC members, uh, to revisit the new version of the club at Greenberry Point. We'll have our hours set for you all Tuesday through Thursday, Saturday and Sunday, 1130 to 1800. We're also opening on Fridays, 1130 to 2000. Our happy hour special is still in place. So we'll have that offered on Fridays, 1500 to 1900. The happy hour, big change there. Uh, we're still offering cool beverages at a discounted rate. Uh, we're not doing, of course, uh, buffet items, uh, complimentary hors d'oeuvres in that fashion. We want to be as safe as possible. Our employees are all geared up with proper PPE. We're encouraging social distancing at all of our spaces. So when you come into the club, just place your order with the bartender. They'll take good care of you. All the items are to go. Uh, we ask that you enjoy them outside of the club for everyone's safety. We do have a wide variety of comfortable patio chairs and tables ready to go. We encourage you to enjoy the, the snacks and uh, beverages outside. Uh, we prefer no more to than four people per table uh, to keep your social distance for the safety of our employees and uh, our guests. So Heather, will there be more outdoor seating? Because I think what uh, a lot of us were accustomed to before were like the three tables just right outside of the door there uh, as you came into the club at Greenberry Point. So are you going to try to stretch it around into the parking lot? I know Coach Owen was talking a little bit about maybe doing something during the uh, regular men's group or RMG Fridays, maybe over near the, uh, the new practice facility. What kind of out-of-the-box thinking are, are you guys employing in order to entertain more people in the safest way possible? Right. So, yes, we have a new layout of our outdoor furniture. We have increased the capacity for our furniture seating area. We'll get creative with what that looks like outside of the club area. Uh, we have actually more than doubled the amount of furniture that will be available for seating. Um, and just as a reminder to everyone who's visited the club before, we have a wide variety of cold sandwiches to pick from. The old fashioned uh, hot dogs and bratwurst are making a comeback. We have all the cool beverages uh, to select from, as well as the sweets and savories on the snack side. But in terms of COVID, 
uh, our NABSD units have been operating throughout the entire period of COVID at the United States Naval Academy. So we have a lot of uh, experience on how to handle the proper protocols and sanitization. We have special cleaning products that are endorsed uh, through the CDC and recommended uh, for best practices to clean the furniture, to clean all of the items in our kitchens. Uh, all of our employees have been properly trained on how to handle uh, this current pandemic that we're in. Heather, how about the beer cart situation? What are we looking at there? Right, so beer carts always a favorite among the golfers. We will be operating the beverage cart every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11.30 to 16.30. The selections will be similar to what you've seen on the golf course before. Uh, we look forward to serving everyone out on the tees. Um, again, just a reminder about transactions for both the beverage cart and in the club. These will be cashless, so we will take credit card payment only. Just something to consider when you come out to the club. It's actually kind of dangerous for me and John. Um, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> we don't mind running a tab with you guys. Okay, fantastic. So it's going to get it's going to get really ugly. Yeah, it really is guaranteed. Um, so you didn't mention the mask policy for going into the nineteenth hole. It, it masks required? Yes. Thank you for asking. So just at all of our NABSC facilities that we're operating currently, uh, face mask is required. I can tell you a little plug for our midshipman store. Uh, we just got all new. Uh, navy themed masks uh they're selling like hotcakes right now so if you need your navy themed mask for your navy golf experience hit the mid store first oh yeah i gotta get over there i didn't realize yeah. that yeah then i think my favorite is um the beat army mask as well as uh the don't give up the ship mask that's another popular one i'm there gotta get it yeah yeah and I'll say, just to speak a little bit more about the COVID precautions that we're taking. So, you know, I'm responsible for looking at our catered events across the yard and the Naval Station uh, and the club at Greenberry Point, the weddings, the receptions, all that fun stuff. And we really have been tracking CNIC regulations, the Navy, DOD policy, as well as federal guidelines, state guidelines, city and county. And it's a lot to digest, uh, but we take this uh, call to action from all of the agencies very seriously. Uh, and all of our employees are uh, taking the necessary steps to make sure our guests, are um, their safeguards are taken into account. Um, I will mention, I have to say, because I know you guys are the sports guys, um, excited to announce that our division has been selected for the third year in a row to feed the football team. And that actually starts um, in just a day or two. So we'll be hopefully responsible for some of their uh, success by fueling them with healthy nutritional meals. I love it. Um, well, from from uh, you know Captain Retired Borback down to Phil Allison to to you Heather Skipper and the entire team in the in the 19th hole as I call it or the Club of Greenberry Point. Um, we really appreciate everything um, you've done in the past, uh, the patience you've shown during the pandemic and the closure of the course for the, for the renovation and now what you're doing in order to accommodate us as we all come flooding back. I personally think it'll be a hard fought battle between Army Ed and his doors uh, and, and Mike Heary with his Miller Lights to see who, uh, who has the highest uh, credit card bill at the end. But 
that'll that'll be a, a race worth watching for the rest of the golf season. So Heather, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the awesome information. We're going to drop this pod in time for the weekend golfers to benefit from it. Um, so thank you for being here. And from us to you, please be safe and uh, and enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Awesome conversations. Really impressed, as Ward was saying, uh, with Tim Taylor, uh, the brand new coach. I, I wish him all the best, as I know you guys do too. And and you know, I I, I don't have the words for how impressive uh, Lieutenant Colonel Courtney O'Brien is, uh, and Ashley Pelzik, who I got to serve with uh, on USS George H. W. Bush. You know, Ward, I'll throw it to you. They're both aviators. They both represented the brigade. Uh, incredibly well. Um, you know, Courtney obviously still doing great things in the fleet right now at the Pentagon, unfortunately, but eventually going out to the fleet. Yeah, what, what, what struck you about those interviews? No, the camaraderie between them, the poise, the service, uh, you know, just as you just said, just incredible human beings, incredible Americans. Um, I think it, it's right that Ashley's just now getting out, and so she's going to be continuing serving the nation, you know, in a civilian capacity, um, you know, a good citizen wherever she goes. And Courtney, uh, you know, is, is in it to win it uh, within in uniform. So I, I was just uh, highly impressed by both. And, and the chemistry between them is just the stuff that happens uh, where you're on a top flight division one varsity team like that. So it was, I was really impressed. Yeah, me too. Um, I think I think it's just uh, again representative of of what's really good about the Naval Academy. Um, you know, Wags, I'll I'll kick it to you. Um, obviously, you were extremely busy with you know three different stories. Um, you know about the change in the Notre Dame game and a really awesome personality profile on Cameron Kinley. Um, you know, what's what's the next story on the horizon? What do you think the next uh, scoop is or the most significant Navy uh, sports story that will come after this? Well, the story I was working on before this uh, took over my life was about the Navy quarterback situation. The biggest question mark facing Navy football is who is going to replace Malcolm Perry under center. Perry Olson, who is a sophomore, is the leading candidate. He's the top the depth chart going into spring practice, I mean, to uh, preseason practice. However, uh, we heard from Ivan Jasper this week in a little Zoom presser that he didn't think Perry Olsen developed as much as he thought he would. He was getting the, the second huddle reps all season, and Ivan thought that Perry should have separated himself from the other quarterbacks. So the truth of the matter is Perry Olsen is not that far ahead of the rest of the quarterbacks. And I spoke to Perry Olson for the article I'll be writing on Friday. Um, and he said, I haven't done anything yet. And, you know, he knows that he's got a lot to prove still. There's a lot of other candidates. And one of the interesting quarterback candidates is Chance Warren. We know Chance well from being a very dynamic wide receiver. Navy used him in a wide variety of roles last year. They would use him on reverses. Um, he's, a, he's a talent. He has got uh, – he was a very dynamic guy with the ball in his hands, and I think they're thinking he's kind of Malcolm Perry Jr. in that regard. And so it's kind of a take your best athlete, put him at quarterback, and see what he can do. So uh, he's one of the candidates. You've got a, a guy named Cy Maynard who's a sophomore. You've got Tiger Goslin, 
Uh, so there's a, a wide open field for quarterback, but that's the number one question Navy's got to solve going into this season opener. Who's going to run the offense? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course, Olsen's very, you know, still pretty young. He didn't get that many reps last year. Um, I, I've never loved him in terms of running the triple option, but I always ascribe that to the fact that he was young and, and inexperienced. But I will just put out, remember about this time last year, um, we, we were having some questions whether Malcolm Perry would, would blossom into Malcolm Perry. So, um, you know, all, I, I like it that Olson is sort of saying, I haven't done anything yet, um, and he's going to sort of take charge of his own performance, and, and we'll see how he delivers on the field. Yeah, and, you know, for, for our listeners as we go forward, uh, we're going to cover the uh, the opening of the Naval Academy golf course uh, with our next pod. We're going to be talking to Coach Pat Owen, uh, a couple of the members of the Naval Academy Golf Club, and uh, also the um, uh, the superintendent of the Naval Academy Golf Course who kind of oversaw the renovation, Eric David. Um, we uh, we were so happy to be joined by Heather Skipper uh, to talk about um, all of the rules and regulations that will guide. Um, the uh, 19th hole or the club at Greenberry Point, you know, the fact that it'll be cashless, the outdoor seating, the fact you'll need masks when you go in there. And with the beer card, I, I put one more call out to all the members who are going to be going out to the golf course over the weekend and in the weeks ahead. Don't bring cash. It's cashless on the beer, uh, with the beer cart in the 19th hole. So be prepared for that. Um, but it's so good to have the golf course open and we're going to provide you great coverage. Beyond that, uh, now that we have BYU on the schedule, we're going to get deep into football and bring you a lot of football-related guests. We're excited to do that. And as we do this, we're going to continue to try to highlight Annapolis businesses, Annapolis restaurants, including in our next pod, a conversation with Brian Bolter of Dry 85. And as we go forward, we'll keep highlighting these businesses and how they're dealing with the pandemic, particularly as the summer ends and a football season without fans possibly begins. So stick with us. We're going to have a great bunch of shows. Uh, spread the word. If you want to appear on this podcast, please contact us. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, particularly that, please contact us. And uh, until the next podcast, this is John Schofield for Ward Carroll and Bill Wagner. This is Sing Second Sports out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.